Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 5. 2 Kings, chapter number 5. And before I read my text, I'm going to go at this a little bit different than what I had planned to do, and uh, so bear with me. But I want to give you a foundation to build our thoughts on this morning, so you'll immediately get the connection when I read our text. One of the great things about reading God's Word and having a relationship with the Lord is discovering that when we are in what seems to be an impossible situation with God, there's hope. In the first part of this chapter, we read about Elisha, the great prophet of God, healing Naaman. He was the captain of the Syrian army, and, uh, and he had leprosy. Let me tell you, in those days, that was like a death sentence. There wasn't anything anybody anywhere could do. I mean, you were doomed. You were isolated to some little colony over there somewhere when nobody could get near you, touch you. And here is a man, a, a mighty man, a man of prestige, a man that is accustomed to speaking a word and having battalions of soldiers march at his command. A man that is admired a man that we could say in that regards has earned his stripes, and now he has leprosy. And thanks to a little maid, all of a sudden she, she tells the story of the man of God and that uh, her belief that he could help you. And it's a wonderful story how that Elisha heals Naaman of his leprosy. Naturally, Naaman is excited, he's ecstatic about the situation to think about all of a sudden what seemed to be impossible becoming a reality in his life. And the first thing he thinks of, and he says to the, to the preacher, Elijah, here, I want to give you something. And Elijah just refused. Quite a bit different than the modern day preachers in the mega churches and what have you that live in the mansions and so forth. He, he, he refused. But nearby there was a servant by the name of Jehazi. And whenever I say a servant, I'm talking about Elisha's servant. So here's a fellow that has been privileged to travel with and to be with this great man of God. He has had this wonderful experience of seeing God in action and being a part of it, an important part of it. But something comes over him and all of a sudden there is a, there is a desire in his heart to, to, to get more than what he has and he contrives a plan that when Naaman leaves, he strikes out and says, I'm, I'll go to Naaman. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell him that my master, Elisha, has sent me, and uh, he's rethought the situation. He decided he would take something. Well, that's where we pick up the story in verse number 20. But it says, Jehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold my master, 
hath spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he uh, that which he bought brought. But as the Lord liveth, now I want you to notice some of the terminology that he's using in this. As the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Jehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments." I don't think I need to convince anyone here today that honesty is a rare virtue. And especially when we're talking about ourselves. Because uh, we tend to, to put ourselves in the best possible light so as to make others think, you know, more highly of us. We're seldom really honest about what's going on in our lives we you know we might be honest about everything else but when it comes right down to the nitty-gritty of where we live and where we stand before the Lord uh, uh, some way or another we just don't want to deal with that issue and we think about you know even in the common forms of greeting you know the that we use today every day you know how are you or how you doing and uh we know we generally ask that without expecting an honest answer. We're, after all, just being friendly. If we'd really be honest, it's a lot of times like, I really don't care how you're doing, but, you know, I was raised to have manners, so I'm going to, I'm going to inquire. Anybody seen that commercial about what if people said what they, <laughs> what they really meant? I hear some chuckles, so some of you have seen it. Wouldn't that be horrible? Everybody just said what, you know, what they meant. Uh, the, 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 you said, well, that's what I do. Well, the Bible says a fool uttereth all of his mind, so you open your mouth and identify yourself. But you know it's the truth. A lot of times maybe it's your neighbor or somebody else that'll ask how you doing, and you know they don't really care. They're just, you know, they're just being kind, and we usually, you know, answer back and uh, Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm do, doing all right or this or that. We just don't give a lot of thought to, uh, to being honest about it. But I want to ask you that question. Today, in all seriousness, is all well? That, that was the question. He saw Jehazi coming down the road, and he's wondering, what in the world is going on? Here comes the... The prophet's servant, I wonder what he could want. And so the first question, is all well? I want you to ask yourself that question this morning, is all well? I'm not talking about is all well in the world today, because we know that it's not. Now notice this is a direct question. Is all well? That's so clear that nobody could misunderstand it. He didn't want to report on world affairs. He didn't expect a rundown of all of his personal problems. He wanted to know if things were as they should be. 
And so as we consider that question this morning, I want you to ask yourself concerning you, is all well? In other words, are things as they should be in the light of God's will for your life? It's real easy for us to look at someone else and to come to the conclusion that all's not well in their life. You know, they need to fix this and they need to fix that and they need to get this right. But, but we, need to, we need to direct that question to ourselves. Is all well? A direct question. But notice there is a deceptive answer. Notice the response, verse number 22. He said, all is well. Well, that's an outright lie. There were a lot of things that, that, that's wrong. Number one, we see that he is discontented with what he had. He's covetous. Now, maybe, maybe you're here and you don't see that as a serious problem, but let me tell you, God does. That is the very thing that gets a lot of people in serious trouble, and God has commanded us to be content and to not covet. I mean, that, that's a commandment of the Lord. So this is a serious problem. The Apostle Paul, you know, here was a man that was a very religious man and a man who was very highly respected among his peers. And from all outward appearance, as far as everybody else was concerned, this guy's really got it all together. He's somebody special in God's sight. And and Paul, in his self-righteous state, failed to see himself as a sinner until he realized that the law said, Thou shalt not covet. And Paul said, That's the one that slew me. That's the one that killed me. That, that put my self-righteous attitude to death when I realized that I was guilty of coveting after things that were not for me. You want to talk about really getting honest about whether it's well in our lives or not? You think about the society that we live in today. And let's face it, most all of us have been, you know, we've been raised in the lap of luxury. You say, oh, well, not me. I mean, you know, preacher, maybe you had it good, but, but boy, I, I, I was raised in poverty. Really? Mud hut, huh? Slept on the ground, no kidding? <laughs> Had to scrounge around to find something to eat, and every day of your life, life was about nothing more than just trying to find something to eat? No, no. Look, let's be honest about it. We, and I'm talking about in comparison to the world. A lot of times we compare ourselves to each other in America, and the poorest American is rich in comparison to a lot of people in this world today. And we all know that we fail miserably when it comes to a matter of really truly being contented in this world. Naaman said, it's all well. He said, yeah, all's well. No, it's not. He's lying about it. He is discontented with what he has. He wants more than what he's got. Secondly, he's dishonest with Naaman. This is an outright lie. It's a lie to a man who trusted him. You could say that, 
that he is lying to a new convert. Remember, Naaman is a heathen as far as religious beliefs are concerned. He doesn't know anything about the God of the Jews. He didn't know anything about Elisha, the great prophet. He knew nothing about this, but all of a sudden, through God's healing power, he comes to know the greatness of Jehovah. So it's like a new convert. And here this guy is lying to him. You know, it's amazing how our standards of right and wrong change whenever we think that we're able to profit from a situation. All of a sudden our standard is different. And it's real easy to say all is well when we know that it's not well and we are being dishonest and discontented. But there's another factor here. We see that he is disloyal to his master. Notice what he said. My master hath sent me. Oh, no, he didn't. Elisha didn't send him. God didn't give him some kind of a special revelation and say, look, Elisha, kind of, he kind of dropped the ball on this one. Why don't you go on down there and, you know, take something from Naaman, you know. God didn't tell him to do that. The prophet didn't tell him to do that. But he says, my master hath sent me. In other words, he is misrepresenting his master. And he does it for the sake of gaining material possessions. How awful it is that he would misrepresent the preacher. Let me tell you, we preachers can make enough mistakes. We don't need any help. Amen. I mean, we've got enough faults of our own that others are able to see in us that it's pretty easy for them to see that we are a long way from perfect. I'm not so worried about that as I am misrepresenting our real master, which is Christ. A lot of times, you know, especially... Especially whenever a preacher is a lot younger and what have you, and you get to worrying so much about what, you know, what are people going to think. And by the way, we need to be concerned about what people think about us, but not to the point that we compromise in order to gain their applause. You, you, you see what I'm saying? There comes a point in a time where you, when you know that you're doing the will of God for your life, you cannot allow others to dictate what you do. And how awful it is whenever we begin to make compromises in our life because others are watching us and they're going to sit in judgment of Christ based on what they see in us. And I'm not just talking about preachers now. I'm talking about all of us, all professing Christians, your co-workers, your neighbors, your relatives, your very own children. They are watching you. And when you misrepresent the Lord Jesus Christ, all is not well. You have a serious problem. But it doesn't even end there. He's saying all is well when he's being dishonest, discontented, disloyal. But he's also being derelict in his duties. In pursuit of his self-interest, what's he doing? He's running down the road. He's running away from his responsibilities. Now, I don't know what Elisha might have had on the agenda that day, you know, for him to do. 
I have no idea, but I do know that it did not include running after Naaman to try to to get some money out of him. So whatever he should have been doing, he is not doing because he's running away from responsibility. All is not well. When you are neglecting your responsibilities as a Christian, everything is not right in your life. There's something else here that I think usually gets overlooked, and that is the fact that he brought danger to his associates. If you read, notice verse 22, and he said, all is well. My master hath sent me, saying, behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men. Now notice verse 23, and Naaman said, be content, take two talents. And he urged him, and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments, and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bear them before him. Do you see what's happened here? He's involved these other servants, these lesser servants, his servants, his helpers. He's involved them, them in, this, uh, in this crime. It's not just him doing it. He's, he's recruited them to, to help him. You know, that's the way sin usually works. We very seldom go it alone. You know, more than likely, we want, to, we want to either get involved with someone else or somebody else to get involved with us. And so now he is endangering these men. In, in other words, he has, he has no concern whatsoever about what might happen to them. And they haven't thought it through, evidently. You know, maybe they're thinking, well, you know, after all, Jehazi is Elijah's, his trusted favorite servant. We can trust him and depend on him. If he says that's what we ought to do, there couldn't be anything wrong with it. You might be surprised how many young Christians are following old Christians who have convinced them, oh, it's all right to do this or do that. Oh, I know, I know. You know, Brother Stone and Brother Preston, they get all excited about it, and they don't really think it's right. But, 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 but let me tell you, there's not anything really wrong with it. I've been doing it for years, and the Holy Spirit's never convicted me of it. I don't see anything wrong with it. I wouldn't worry about what they thought. Now, you think that kind of garbage doesn't go on in a church? You're wrong. It does happen, the interaction between members, and a lot of times the worst thing that can happen to some new convert is to get around some long-standing church member that is out of the will of God. We need to be concerned about how our behavior is going to affect others. And, And here is a man that has no concern about his associates whatsoever. He is endangering them, and you're going to see that later. I think I could sum it up in saying whenever the question is all well was asked, I, I think you see the problem that it was totally devoid of any common sense. Uh, the only word I can think of really to describe it is just dumb. I mean, this is dumb. When you do something that, like the things that I've mentioned here, that's about as dumb as it can get. It's amazing what people will risk their lives for. He should have thought about what he might lose instead of what he might gain. And there's so many times we don't think about that. 
You know, we, do, we, we, you know, we envision getting this or doing that or so forth, and we are so dead set on having our way and enjoying our sin and what have you that we don't sit down and think about what this might cost us. And as soon as Naaman said, it's all well, I mean, he should have, look, Jehazi should have stopped in his tracks and done an inventory of his heart and asked himself, uh, you know, maybe I need to think this through, but it's just full steam ahead for him. He's unwilling to face the facts about himself. But how is it with you? Is all well? Are you willing to face the facts about yourself? Or are you going to pretend like everything's all right? I mean, you can do that, you know. And a lot of times we're guilty of just pretending everything is all right. You husbands and wives, you know exactly what I mean whenever, you know, there'll be a little something going on, you know, between... You and the wife, I'm talking about friction now. I'm not talking about romance. I'm talking about friction, a little something going on. I, gotta, I have a way of not finishing some of my sentences, and uh, I change subjects, so I want to be real careful about that. And uh, one, of, one of them will say to the other one, now here, this is what happens. I, I don't think we've ever done it. Why are you getting so mad? I'm not mad. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean. I, we don't want to admit, yeah, I'm mad. I'm boiling mad. I'm just, I'm so frustrated, you know. I, I don't know what to do. We, just something, that old stubborn pride in our heart that wants others to think the best of us, that we don't want to face the facts about ourselves. That's what's going on. You th do you think he doesn't know this is dishonest? Do you think you, that he doesn't know that he is being disloyal to his master? He knows all of these things. He's not, he's not a dummy. He's just doing a dumb thing. And so his response was what? All is well. Wow, you got to be kidding me. Now, notice the disgraceful cover-up. Verse 25. The story doesn't end there. Verse number 25, but he went in and stood before his master. Well, he come back. He's actually got more than what he wanted. You know, he went there and asked Naaman about, you know, getting her talent of silver. And Naaman, being the gracious soul, he did, what's out here? Take two. And, and these garments, by the way, take these. I mean, he, he's glad to give this stuff away. He's just been healed of leprosy. So Jehazi takes those things and hides them, comes back to Elisha. Verse 25, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Jehazi? <laughs> and he said, Thy servant went no whither. I haven't been anywhere. I haven't left the house all day. I haven't got out of the recliner. I haven't been anywhere. That's what he said. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Question mark. 
Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? Question mark. Now we're talking about this disgraceful cover up. I want you to get the picture here. He has an opportunity to confess. He's got an opportunity to make things right. I mean, he knew the very minute that Elisha began speaking, he knows he's caught. He, he knows that. But he's trying to figure out some way to get out of it, and so he's just going to, to deny it. Oh, I haven't been anywhere. No, no I, I don't know what you're talking about. Some way or another, we get it in our mind that we can hide things from God and that that makes it okay. And even when we have an opportunity to make it right, we don't take advantage of it. And that's what's going on here. Now, go back to our text here in verse number 27. And here is the dreadful judgment. The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee. Wow, what a, that, how horrible. He is smitten with leprosy, this dreadful disease. And remember, in those days there was no known cure for this. His sin has done irreversible damage. And unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Didn't just affect him, did it? It affected his seed, his family. And notice, forever. Now, I know probably question marks dancing in your mind. How in the world could future generations be affected by the present action of one man? You can ask God that question when you get to heaven. I just know that it happens. He visits our sins to the third and the fourth generation. Let me tell you something. Whatever we do is going to have an effect on the coming generations. It would have been one thing for him to be smitten with leprosy, but, but it, it, it gets into his family. Now let's make this personal because it's too late for, for Jehazi. It's too late for him. We can't do anything about it. That's all history. That's in the past. But it's not too late for us. Is all well? That's the question that has to be answered. Are all things as they ought to be? Are we willing to examine ourselves to find out? You know, just saying, well, you know, I really, I, I appreciate you asking the question, preacher, but I really feel pretty good about myself. Well, look, that's not good enough. There are a lot of people dying of cancer that feel good physically. They might not even know they have cancer, but it's there, and it's eating away at their vitals, and they're, they're dying, and they don't even know it. They, it hasn't reached that stage to where it's zapping them of their energy and so forth. It's one thing to just surmise that, oh, yeah, everything's okay. It's another thing to investigate and to find out. 
And, and we need to examine ourselves in the light of God's Word and to, to discover whether all things are well or not. And stop pretending. Consider every aspect of our life. Look, just because you excel in one area doesn't justify your failure in another area. And a lot of times we get it in our mind, you know, wow, you know, I excelled above all of the rest of the church in this area, but you might be a miserable failure in some other area. You can't say all is well whenever we are failing to do what God commands us to do. It's time to stop pretending and to get honest about our spiritual condition. And let me tell you, if you're here this morning and you never received Christ as your Savior, let me tell you, things will never be well with you until you do. Never. Romans chapter 11 verse 22 tells us, Behold the goodness, and we saw that in the healing of Naaman, right? We saw the goodness of God, but he said, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Now we're seeing the severity of God. He's not playing games. Jehazi misrepresented his Lord, disobeyed his Lord, and now he is smitten with leprosy. I don't know, you know, those fellows that had followed him there, those other servants, they must have thought to themselves, why in the world did we ever follow this guy? What were we thinking? Well, let me tell you, it's too late after the hammer has dropped. It's too late after judgment has come. You're here today, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I don't care how healthy you are, how wealthy you are, how famous you are, or anything else, all is not well in your life. In fact, you have the worst possible problem that anybody could have. And that is you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But even though all is not well, it doesn't have to stay that way because God in His grace has given you another opportunity today. Right here, right now, this morning. You can change all of that. And even though it's not well, you can make it well by the grace of God by receiving Christ as your Savior. And if you're here, you might, look, you might have a long record like Jehazi. He is, he is one of the choice servants. I mean, my, he's been there with the man of God through all of this. You can depend on him, but he failed. And let me tell you, every single one of us failed at some time or another. We all do. And we can, whenever it happens, we can try to cover it up and pretend that it doesn't exist. Or we can take advantage of the opportunity and make it right. And that's what I'm hoping and praying that you'll do this morning. Is, is all well? You need to answer that. And you will answer that. Truthfully or dishonestly, one way or another. Because God knows whether it's all well or not. Let's stand. Father, how we thank you that when absolutely everything in our life seems to be wrong, and even when we come to the point that we realize that really we don't have anybody to blame but ourselves for it,
that we've been stubborn, we've been rebellious, just like Jehazi. And how thankful I am this morning that you're willing to forgive, you're willing to restore, and you're willing to not only do that, but to give us the strength that we might live in victory. And I pray this morning for those here that perhaps have never trusted Christ as their Savior. And it certainly can't be well with them because heaven's not their home. Their sins have never been forgiven. Speak to their heart. Convict them of their sins. Draw them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And for those of us that have been saved but we've failed you in whatever way, Help us to get honest about our spiritual condition this morning and make it right. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand as we sing together, you come.